Hi, this is Chris Castile, and in our edition of Political State today, we are lucky to have Governor Kevin Stitt and First Lady Sarah Stitt. Um, thank you both for coming in, Mrs. Stitt. I don't think we've seen you since we were talking about inauguration uh, plans yes. uh, or earlier this year. Um, Governor, again, thanks for coming in. I want to thank you, too, for um, how available you are to us. Um, I can't speak for the other press, but for the Oklahoman all year long, just like on the campaign in 2018, never ducked an interview, never ducked a question. You're always always accessible, and, and uh, we really appreciate it. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, you've been you've been great. It's just uh, such an honor to get this opportunity to uh, speak to Oklahomans. Every ch- I love every chance I get to uh, talk directly to Oklahomans and tell them what's happening uh, at the Capitol and what's happening with their uh, administration. Um, I've gone to some of your public speeches in the last couple of weeks, and one of the things that, that you mentioned, I think, at everyone is how much more fun it is to be governor <laughs> than it was to be on the campaign, and I. I, I know, uh, having covered that campaign, that the runoff and the and the general were uh, you were under a kind of a constant barrage of attack ads, and it was uh, especially stressful toward the end. But why why is it fun to be governor, or is it just a relative thing? It's just more fun. <laughs> no, you know, I, I just believe in life. You never look backwards. You always look uh, uh, forward. And we've got such great opportunities in Oklahoma. Uh, I'd never ran for office before, so having three campaigns back to back to back, the the primary, then the runoff, and then the general, uh, not knowing if you're going to win. And, and yeah, I mean, we were upsetting the apple card. You know, we were the outsider, and we were upsetting uh, kind of the, the career politicians that were that thought that they were supposed to be in this seat. And uh, so it was, a, it was an uphill fight, but Oklahomans – uh, agreed with me and said, we want a business person. We want an outsider coming in and, and leading and shaking up state government. And I hope they can feel the momentum. Um, it's just been true honor uh, to, to serve as their governor. And I just, um, whether I'm running my company or whether I'm now as governor, I'm going to uh, look at life and, and the opportunities that we have. And I hope that I inspire Oklahomans to do the same thing. Well, you've been all over um, You know, in, in your first uh, year, I mean, you've been you went from touring flood damage, I think, in uh, in one week to being at the Paris Air Show. You've gone to Louisiana to look at their prison. You've gone to the White House. You've gone to other states. Um, what is I and mean, what what is it about getting out that 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 is important? I mean, it seems that like you are out with you've done these town um, they're not town halls they're um, top ten cabinet top tours. ten cabinet tours and in, in in every part of the state. What 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 have you gleaned from that? What have you taken from that? You know, uh, when you get to Oklahoma City and you're in the capital, you're in this bubble, and you've got the legislature around you. You've got all the insiders that uh, that benefit the lobbyists. Uh, everybody from the status quo. And so at, when I in the business world, I would always bring my executives and we'd have to go out to the field and have to go out to our branch offices. It's so important that we get outside of Oklahoma City. So um, that's why I've taken my cabinet to rural Oklahoma. And we've done these tours because it's great for us to actually get with the people and see what's happening in Woodward or Lawton or Owasso or McAllister. Um, but it's also good for those communities to get a chance to meet their secretary of agriculture or their secretary of transportation and uh, and be able to uh, you know show us the assets in their community so we tour businesses we tour uh, prisons when we were out there we tour the career tech centers and so it's just a great time and I just believe it's important it's a bigger state than just one city and it's my job as governor to to bring everybody together 
and bring my cabinet to uh, to all of uh, all of Oklahoma. So that's why it's that's why we did it. We're going to continue to do it, and I think it's going to pay uh, huge dividends for Oklahoma in the future. I'm wondering how engaged you feel like the Oklahoma populace is. I mean, I, w- I was a little surprised. I I came back here in 2018 after many years away in an area that was you know, very politically engaged, the Washington D.C. area, and I was I was kind of surprised at how um, lackluster turnout was for, for certain things, not, not just elections, which it's terrible in, but just, for, just to go see the candidates. You know, you'd be in a small town and there would be an opportunity for, for you to just go be face-to-face with a guy who might be your next governor. And I was wondering if, you, if you've seen that last night in uh, Oklahoma City, um, the maps uh, passed overwhelmingly, but hardly anybody showed up to, to vote for it. It was record low uh, turnout. It's below 20% the people you know voting for this very important uh, set of projects I, I i was wondering how how you feel about them when you get out there do you feel like people are connected or do you feel like they're less connected all the time well i mean that's a that's a great question and, and why is you know voter turnout low uh th- that's why it's my job as governors to continue to try to communicate those messages to oklahomans and and uh but we're such a uh, now you know society now generation and everything's so quick and it's sound bites and it's 30 second tv commercials and 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 that's my that's my hope is that everybody would slow down a little bit and really understand the issues because you're right these are there's big issues out there that they need to be engaged with and so uh, that's the thing that our team is always trying to figure out is how do we engage oklahomans let them know exactly what's happening they can visit our website uh, obviously the newspaper does a great job of explaining the issues uh, but it's it, it is it is hard. It's a it's a it's a problem that I think is uh, uh, plugging us nationally, and and we need our young people. We need to start teaching our young people at the school age level uh, the importance uh, to get involved with uh, uh, with the issues with their leaders, um, or we're going to continue to repeat the, pa- the the mistakes of the past. And I think we have too good of a state to do that. Uh, so I'm just continue. I I try to speak to schools every time I every chance I get because I think when they meet us, they understand the issues. They will start paying attention more. Um, and so it's just it's just me getting around the state and also, uh, you know, programs like this. And hopefully people start paying attention to the issues. Mr. Stitt, I wanted to ask you about your family's transition. Um, you, you were a very private family before uh, 2018. Um, now you're very public. I mean, yeah. and, and, and some of your have you done? I, I, it seems like a, a, a good job of keeping the kids in, involved in what they can be involved in. I see them in, in pictures of you being at various things. But I mean, how's it been for you, and when? how do you make decisions about how, when and where you expose uh, your kids to the public? Well, I think having such a large family, you really just kind of keep rolling. And so we moved to Oklahoma City. We enrolled our kids in all their sports. Kevin's on the sideline. You know, he's not coaching anymore, which is is the one change for some of our little kids coaching, you know, little league and basketball and stuff like that. But we're there with them on 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 their game days. And um, I you know, I just think our kids were really engaged in the campaign. They really enjoyed the process because it was something new and they saw their dad stepping out to something that was a little bit scary, quite frankly. And he let them know this is this is hard. And so they were super engaged. So they've loved the process. We have some that love it more than others. And we there's a couple of them that are always raising their hands saying, Dad, Dad, can I go to work with you? Can I can I go with you to tour something? And, of course, they're also wanting to get out of school. But um, they're, 
uh, Kevin does a great job of engaging them and explaining, you know, the things he does during the day and they ask questions. So we're very involved in that. Um, You know, I'm a mother before I'm the first lady. So I'm pretty sure you've seen me. Many people have seen me in the grocery store, you know, hauling a kid crying for something that I refuse to purchase. So it's just a life and um, they've adjusted well. They like it. Um, I think we kept telling him by Thanksgiving, everybody's going to have a new normal. And I think we've pretty much achieved that. And they've all found, you know, new sets of friends. And um, a funny story, the other day I was driving to something and my third grader starts kind of crying in in the back. And I thought he was teasing it at first. And I said, uh, you know, what's wrong, Remington? And he said, well, I'm just so sad when I when I see people from Tulsa I just miss all my old friends and his older sister from the front seat spoke and she said well Remington it's not like you lost friends you just got the opportunity to increase your friends and you have more now you're always going to have your friends in Tulsa but now you have the opportunity to have them in Oklahoma City and that just really spoke to me that they they really are working together and and they see the big picture and there's always hard days you know with with the volume of children we have there's an up and a down every day mm-hmm. It's but quite a range, too. It is. You have them it from is. college, uh, fr- co- uh, freshman in college, to one that you just taught to ride a bike. Um, yes, I saw kindergarten. Just kindergarten. lost his first tooth a couple of <laughs> days ago. So we love it. It's been a great experience. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I can't really say that there's been any negative things so far. So. And you, I, I, I think we talked about how you felt that, that, you should, that you should take one of your kids, I think, to the El Reno uh, tornado damage. Um, what, what, what was your thinking behind that uh, those last summer? Well, obviously, just like any parent, you just want your kids to, to know how fortunate they are, to know there's people that are uh, uh, experiencing some, some tough times. And that was a great opportunity to show one of my kids the, the tornado damage and the devastation. And so we got a chance to meet the families that got their homes destroyed. We went over to the uh, Red Cross Center and, and spent some time with them. Uh, President Trump actually called me while I was touring, so that was uh, that was a neat experience. Um, and so it's just it's just as any parent, you want your kids to uh, experience life and, and 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 realize how fortunate they are in certain situations and and how they can be a blessing to others. One thing I wanted to talk to you about was the and, and this made national news. It was such a big deal was the was the release of more than five hundred uh, inmates whose sentences would have qualified them under it, it, under the state questions that that, that made some um, uh, crimes that had been felonies into misdemeanors. Um, that was a huge deal. I think both of you were were very involved. Th- this was something that you were focused on in 2018. You talked about all the problems that lead to incarceration incarceration, so many of these things like addiction and mental health play into our high incarceration rates. And then you have foster care and you have these families broken up. All these different things that I think that's where I see me being able to make a difference. And I think a big part of why I'm excited is because I can help bring hope and Um, maybe direction to people that are in the dark trying to figure it out for themselves trying to help a family member or a child or and so I want to make several of these social issues in Oklahoma bring them to the forefront and try to make a difference so future generations don't have this you know this Mm -hmm. big issue Talk to me about your own role in that. I, I, I think the governor said that you were involved in the license uh, and making sure they all had driver's licenses, that they were ready to transition out, that they didn't just get out and they were on the street. Well, as I began to hear the governor's staff talk about this um, 
huge release, this commutation, I got excited. Um, and then, you know, they shared the history and, and the laws that passed and all of that. But I began to think, okay, we can't just pat people on the back and say, have a good life. How can we give um, the people that are being commuted a better opportunity to be successful on the outside? And so I came up with an idea of having reentry fairs, much like a job fair, and uh, going out to the community and getting the nonprofits and the government agencies and the different um, manufacturing industries and different industries that could employ and educate and bringing them actually behind the walls. So when they took that step outside those walls, they actually had a plan and a purpose. And so they weren't stepping out into an unknown because I spoke, I went around to um, several of the women's prisons and spoke to women and, and they were excited, but they're also very anxious. They're stepping back into a life that is really unknown. A, a lot of them lost their children uh, in that process and their children went into custody or they're with a family member. A lot of them didn't have anyone to contact when they stepped out of those doors, except for the people that probably got them in that situation initially. So I was so proud of Oklahoma. I was getting text and phone calls that up to the day of the commutation saying, how can I help? Can I step in? I can employ. I can help. I can house. And I heard story after story of how that really impacted. And each person that left those walls left with a plan. They had the opportunity to do that. And to me, that was so important because it's our job to surround these people leaving in our communities and help them be successful. Otherwise, we have that cycle that repeats and they go back into the system. So I think all across the board, no one would say that you wouldn't want to help them be successful. No one wants to to, to bring them back into the system. So it was exciting. It was a lot of work. The um, Department of Corrections and the Parole Board, they worked very hard to do that because at first we were told that couldn't be done. And they said, well, we'll just have it, you know, afterwards. And I said, that that's that's not going to work. Nobody's going to come back to that. Many of these people are leaving and literally don't have a place to stay or a ride or anything. And so it was uh, so exciting. It was inspiring. Um, I shook hands with and, and spoke with almost all of the women that I went and met in those rooms. And um, it was really life changing. There's a and, and there's something that you've been talking about recently that I, that I think you're involved in as well. And that's this uh, um, situation that probably few people in Oklahoma who aren't directly involved think about. And that's the aging out of the foster care. Um, and you, you turn 18 and all of a sudden you're in the same situation that, that you were just talking about. T- talk to me about you, you mentioned Cleveland County as being uh, is this going to be sort of a, a test county for this and would t- tell me about what well we're, we're rolling we're going to have the uh, governor's prayer breakfast starting on february 18th and we're really excited about that and and and, and the governor's prayer breakfast we're going to launch this be a neighbor campaign and the be a neighbor campaign is taking uh five issues that lead to um, you know poverty and some of the social issues that you can't pass a law in state government to fix like aging out of foster care so when you're 18 uh, Cleveland County is an example I've used that has 27 kids uh, between 16 to 18 that are aging out. You know how many churches and nonprofits are in Cleveland County? There's over 200. So the purpose is just to show every county, uh, here's what we need you to do to be engaged. And so then there's people that want, that have a heart to walk beside some of those 18-year-olds and help them tr- make that transition. Because I think about my freshman in college and cannot imagine her just being let out, not having a place to stay, not having a direction in life. It's its frightening. And that's why the statistics, 50% of them end up dead in prison, homeless. We've got to step up and help those folks. And so by me 
kind of convening and bringing everybody together and showing them what those issues and how I need the churches to plug in and the nonprofits, I think that'll move the needle. And then we can talk about the other things as well. We've got incarceration data coming back. We've got uh, you know teenage pregnancies, high school dropouts, uh, all that stuff. Because when you break your goals down, 77 smaller goals, and I can get those stats, it's one person in this county, or it's three people in that county, or it's four people in this county. And let's just step up as Oklahomans, and we there's some people in need that we need to kind of help get off to a good start, and, and it's going to pay dividends for our state. Let's talk a little bit about uh, um, policy. The session. I mean, you had a you had a pretty good honeymoon year. You came in with a budget surplus. Um, you've got uh, veto-proof uh, majorities in in both houses, so you were able to accomplish a lot of what you said you wanted to do. I mean, there was a, a several times in uh, on the twenty eight campaign, you, twenty eighteen campaign. You talked about the kind of people that you're going to bring in, kind of a combination of uh, government people with government experience, people out of the private sector. I'll have a, a combination of. Uh, a lot of outsiders and people that have uh, from the private sector and people that are taken off from their careers for a year or two like I am because I think that's what our forefathers envisioned. They never envisioned career politicians. They wanted somebody to temporarily leave their farmer business, go serve, and then come back. So and then I know I'll bring in some insiders, some guys that actually uh, have worked in the House and the Senate and know their way around. How has that worked out? I mean, you, you got the legislature to give you the authority to hire at agencies that uh, the governor had no control over before in terms of who was running them. Yeah. Um, corrections being one, uh, the health care authority, the health department. Talk about how that, that that's worked out. Yeah, so, so that's really, really important for Oklahomans just to, 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 to understand what happened. When I got there, I didn't have any authority to run some of these state agencies. And the legislature agreed with me. And as your governor, you want your governor to go fix education and health care and, and the incarceration rates and all the stuff that Oklahomans told me on the campaign trail to go fixed. And so by the legislature giving me the authority to at least hire and fire the people that are running those agencies, it was a game changer. And case in point, we would never have had this largest uh, commutation in U.S. history without that authority. Because you don't know how many times everybody told me, oh, it's impossible. You can't do that, Governor. And I said, the people want us to get these low-level drug offenders uh, out that are currently be a misdemeanor today. And I said, but, but, but it's also, so I, I had to replace the person running pardon and parole, had to replace the person running corrections to make all that happen. Uh, but that's my job as Oklahomans, uh, for Oklahomans as their governor, is to make those kind of things happen. And so you're seeing it in uh, um, becoming top 10 in our road conditions, pavement conditions, and that's what I'm pushing those guys, and on and on and on. All the agencies that I can uh, control and manage, I'm really trying to move the needle for Oklahoma. That'll make it, in the past, you know, the, the governors of the past would be blamed for things that really a lot of people didn't realize were not, they couldn't control who was running it. Now you're accountable. Um, some, I want to ask you about some of the picks. I mean, you've, you've had already a, a kind of uh, uh, a disproportionate number of, of selections on certain boards just by happenstance, you know, like the Supreme Court, like uh, the OU Regents. For the state Supreme Court, you pick two white males. For the OU Board of Regents, let's take you, you've made another uh, uh, appointment this, this week, another kind of older white male. Um, there is an African-American man among the, the three, but does diversity come into your – do you think about – do you say, hey, I want some women candidates for this? I want some um, you know, underrepresented uh, people on some of these boards because it has a 
seemed to work out work out that way. Yeah. So uh, first off, I'm always going to choose the best person for the job, and uh, but I I obviously want to interview all the female candidates I can, all of the uh, minority candidates I can. I'm a uh, uh, a car, you know a chair member of the Cherokee Nation, and so uh, on the governor's team, my um, I've got four direct reports. Uh, Donnell Harder is somebody that I rely on uh, that's, that's fantastic, that kind of guides uh, the state of Oklahoma and helps me make decisions. So you want, you want, the, you want to be able to consider that? Oh, 100%. Uh-huh. Uh, but, but I don't look at somebody's uh, race or sex. or uh, My job is but to why pick not? the very let, let best person. Let me ask you that, at least on gender. Let me ask you why not, why you don't look at gender. I mean, why shouldn't... Why shouldn't you want to have some proportional representation of women? I the, the state is more than 50% women, I think. Yeah, and, and, and I do, but I also am not going to choose somebody just because of their sex or their race uh, just to check a box. Uh, my job in, in, in business, you want the very best people. And I hope Oklahomans see, I want the very best people uh, running these uh, uh, agencies. My first pick on the... Um, on the uh, board of regents at the University of Oklahoma was an African-American gentleman. Not because he was African-American, because he was the best business candidate. He came from out of state, and he was a, he was a, a Democrat. Never met him before I started researching. I wanted somebody from out of state, and I wanted the best business mind I could find. He just became president of uh, Nationwide uh, Investment Side. Just super smart guy. And uh, so I just picked the best people. He happened to be African-American. That's fantastic. Um, And then Blaine Arthur um, was the pick that I chose for the Secretary of Ag. We've never had a female Secretary of Ag in in our state history. And I picked her because she was the right person for that job. And so... uh, I, of course, I tell my team, we, we want to look at everybody, uh, but I never say I'm not just going to be a check-the-box governor, and, uh, and I think Oklahomans know that my heart is pure to get the very best, very best people. In a lot of cases, it is African-American. It is uh, American Indians like I am. It's uh, uh, f- uh, female uh, candidates. Um, but anyway, that, that's kind of the how I think about stuff, and, and I never even really think about um, not choosing the best person. Let me ask you about um, another thing that you've talked about in your public speeches recently, and that's the, the budget surplus. You said it's at a billion for the first time, and you'd like to get it to $2 billion by the end of this term. Is that right? The, yes. the arithmetic of that seems pretty difficult. I mean, that would, that would suggest, what, close to 350 over $300 million a year for the next three years. I don't, I don't even see how that's feasible. <laughs> You would have well, to have, I mean, you would either have to have surpluses in, in, in excess of that yeah. or actually be taking money, cutting budgets of agencies to get there. Yeah. Well, again, I, I'm going to be very judicious in how we spend uh, the taxpayer dollars. And so in 2018, we increased spending by 10%. Last year, we increased spending by 6%. But I think Oklahomans also wanted me to make sure uh, that in the good years, we save money. So for the first time ever, I set aside $200 million. Never happened. Think about the situation we'd be in in a state right now had I let the legislature spend that $200 million, All of the base expenses would have gone up. And this is proving very prophetic because now, this year, um, rig count is down by two-thirds. I'm going to go on December 20th, I have my first Board of Equalization meeting, which is basically where I get the numbers on what the projections for revenue are next year. And uh, we're expecting a pretty flat budget. And had I not saved that money last year, we increased the spending, we'd be looking at cuts this year. 
So again, I set the goals. I set the vision. If we don't hit two billion, if we hit one point eight, that's great. If we hit one point five, it's more. We already have more savings than we've ever had in state history. So I'm going to continue to push the legislature. I'm going to continue to push uh, myself and our team in Oklahoma on what we need to do to set up ourselves for success in the future. And uh, there's no time limit. Um, to be a top 10 state, it's not something that's going to happen tomorrow, but it's a direction that we can go, and it's a vision that everybody is buying into is running these different state agencies, and they come to me all the time and say, Governor, this is how we can become top 10. Here's how we can beat this state or that state. That's exactly what I want them to do. Let me ask you about the, the gaming compact situation with the tribes. Um, this is, it was no secret. Um, we, we have a clip um, from Duncan, uh, uh, the Stevens County fish fry in 2018, where this question came up, and you said they should be market. These these um, rates that the the tribes pay for gaming should be market. As governor, I'm going to help them hit that. But do we need to negotiate that? Absolutely. How do you do it? What's the right number? It's called market. I don't set. I don't. If today the interest rates are four and a half percent, I'm in the mortgage business. This is a great example. If the day that the interest rates are 4.5%, I need to be at 4.5% to earn your loan. If I had a 5.5% rate, I couldn't expect to get your loan. But I certainly don't need to give you a 3.5% rate either. I need to be market. That's how businesses work. We need to have market. It's what other states charge. That's how you negotiate. And yes, we need accountability. We need transparency. And I tell the tribes, they're going to have a seat at the table with me in every single negotiation so we can work together. And it is a win-win. When you negotiate based on market, it should be a win-win for not only the 4 million Oklahomans, but also for the tribes. We're very fortunate to have them here, and I'll be a great governor for the tribes as well. This is this has become kind of this almost convoluted issue about the automatic renewal and everything. If, if all you wanted to do was negotiate rates, why not just do that? Why, why, why are you guys fighting about whether the – is there a way around having to fight over that threshold question about renewal and just renegotiate on the rates? Well, th- th- that's what's been so frustrating for me. I, again, my heart goes out to people that work in those uh, casinos, that are great Oklahomans, that are just taking care of their families. That's why I started this six months ago, uh, to ne- renegotiate this, uh, this contract that expires on January 1st, 2020. We have tried to say, hey, let's set aside any issues that you might have. Let's just sit down and talk. So far, that industry has refused to talk to us. As a matter of fact, on October 28th, the Attorney General, I uh, sent him over to meet with all the tribes on October 28th. They kicked him out of the meeting and would not let him finish his presentation. So this has gotten confrontational. And, and I mean, so what's the, what's the road out of there? I mean, they're, they're, this isn't how they like to operate. The tribes really don't like these kind of public confrontations and and it doesn't seem like you do either so what so how'd you get here how do you get out of this listen it would be what oklahomans need to understand it it would be much easier for me just to go along to get along and just say oh these auto renew for another 15 years Uh, or in their case they're just saying these continue on forever that's the wrong thing for oklahoma so here's the real issue oklahoma gave this asset away to operate gaming 15 years ago for a fee of four to six percent what is that fee worth today? It's a very simple question. To operate the, a monopoly to operate casinos is worth something. 
And you can look at other states. That's a great way to look at it. You can look at Connecticut and Florida and Arkansas and all these other states, New Mexico, and it is much higher than 4 to 6%. So my job as governor is to look at all contracts and negotiate what's best for Oklahoma. That's what I'm going to do. Oklahoma elected me the wrong person if they wanted me to just go along to get along and, and rubber stamp stuff and, and say, oh, yeah, it's too hard of a fight. Um, this is the right thing to do. Truth is on my side. Oklahomans know this. Uh, it's hard for them to argue how uh, you know they should keep it at four percent, and and I don't begrudge them. They have this a sweetheart. But deal. that's again, that's again, um, and we, we're running out of time. But I, 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 that that's the rates, and that so it's gotten all kind of wrapped up in this threshold question of renewal. And I was just wondering, I mean, is that question going to have to be decided by a judge if, uh, uh, in a court? Uh, it, whether it, it, it may have to be. I don't want it to be. But go back and read the letters. I've sent four letters saying, hey, let's set this issue aside. Let's just sit down and talk. And they continue to stiff arm. They're basically saying, until you 100% agree that we're right, we're not going to talk to you. Okay? There's a lot of people listening that have a spouse. How good does your argument with your spouse go that says, hey, I'll sit down and talk to you, honey, as soon as you agree that I'm 100% right? <laughs> it doesn't work. Let me ask you a couple of kind of lightning round questions so, so I can get you guys out of here. Um, next, next year, do you, um, do you hope, as you guys are writing your budget now, do you, do you plan to have more money for education in that next budget? Uh, you know, absolutely. We're going to always continue to invest in education. I've, Increases, I mean, I'm sorry. Yeah, we'll you, always you, increase uh-huh. and continue to move the needle in education. Uh, I'm the first governor that's given a pay raise to our wonderful school teachers two years in a row. Uh, so that's something we'll always continue to invest in because it really starts with our children. Um, you're, you're only a year in, but can you imagine doing this for seven more years i mean i I, as fun as it as it may be i mean do you think you know as a family can you imagine doing this for seven i'll let sarah answer that but uh we'll we'll uh we'll take it you know one this term and then we'll decide what we want to do and we'll we'll uh um, see how we do, and, and um, do you uh, miss private business? Do you miss being oh, I, in? Absolutely, I'm, I miss uh, miss our company. I miss uh, uh, being in private business. But it's such an honor to serve my state, and I know this is a short window of time. And so, uh, I'd love to be the governor uh, for another term as well. And we'll just we'll cross that bridge when it gets here in three more years. What if he comes to you and asks you, uh, "Hey, I'm thinking about running for president." Oh my goodness. <laughs> I can't even think about that. I have to, I am not the big picture person that the governor is, but, um, you know, you just have to do your best every day. And I wake up every day and um, I just pray that I do my best to make an impact with this opportunity. This truly is an opportunity of a lifetime. And you could have even asked me five years ago and I would have thought that that was the most far-fetched thing in the world. So it's an opportunity of a lifetime. We have to do our best with what we have today. So that's how Kevin lives his life. That's what we try to teach our kids. So every day we get up and we try to do our best and make the most impact with this opportunity that we have. So day by day. Thank you so much, both of you, for coming in. It was uh, great to talk to you both again. Thank you. Good to see you. And look for this and more on uh, theoklahoman.com and in the Oklahoman newspaper.